0: Welcome to Stories of Iceland. There is a lot going on for me. I am quitting my day job in June and in July I will start renting an old fish shop in a small run-down strip mall near my home. I am not going to sell fish. I am going to start a little studio, really a little co-op for podcasters and YouTubers who need space and equipment. I hope this will mean better audio quality from me, but more importantly, it will give me an opportunity to do interviews. That has been a goal of mine for a while. There are subjects where I feel that I could either use someone who is more of an expert or even someone who might join me in a friendly debate about the stories I am telling. So, that is exciting. If you want to help me focus more of my energy towards this podcast, please support me on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. I'd like to thank all my supporters, especially Troy Williams, a friend of the podcast. Join them at patreon.com slash storiesoficeland. There you will find extra material and early access to new episodes. But this is Stories of Iceland, episode 20, Goldilocks and Beardy. Iceland is in the North Atlantic. Its capital city is Reykjavík. There is a fjord in Iceland called Kvámsfjörðr, the fjord of Kvamr. You can find it quite easily if if you think of Iceland as a sheep. Then Kvámsfjörðr is just above the upper leg. Kvámsfjörðr is known as Iceland's answer to Italy. At least when it comes to shape. Kvamsgörður looks like a boot. If it wasn't for the size difference, you could imagine that Italy was a piece that had been ripped out of Iceland to create Kvamsgörður. It is named for the farm Kvamr, and the word Kvamr means something akin to grassy hollow. This part of Iceland is usually called the Vales, Dalirnir. The farm used to be the seat of regional chieftains, and it pops up again and again in Icelandic history until at least the 17th or 18th century. To understand the background to this story, we need to know a little about the early history of Kvamr. The most important female settler in the sagas is Øyður Jupuka, which could be translated as either the Deep Thinker or simply Øyður the Wise. Her story is quite complex and needs at least another episode to be told. Since we are talking about the sagas and the settlement dates, we can't really say that Øyður was a real person or that she was anything like the sources tell us. Even if we did believe the sources, they don't even agree on her name. It is sometimes Unnur, but Öyður is the more common way to refer to her. With all these caveats in place, I can say that Öyður settled the land around Kvamsjörður, and it was she who established the farm, at Kvamur. Either might have been born in the early to middle parts of the ninth century. She might have been a Christian. Her descendants lived at Kvamur, and her great-great grandson, Thorenson lived there. Skeki, whose names could be translated as Birti, is also a character in the sagas. Especially when it comes to the Christianization of Iceland, I will likely talk about him a bit when I will deal with that period. As you can tell, there is about a century between Öður and Skeggi, but history gets confused in folk tales, as you will notice. But what about Goldilocks? What role does he play in the story? The name in Icelandic is Gullbrau, which can be translated as the one with the golden brow. The reason I chose to call her Goldilocks is that when the tale of a girl who perpetrates a home invasion on a family of unsuspecting bears was translated into Icelandic, her name was rendered as Gullbrau. So these tales are already connected in the Icelandic psyche, and actually the one with the bears is likely better known by modern Icelanders, if they don't happen to be connected to Kwamshurd. The story also mentions a farmland adjacent to Kwamr, called Akur. This simple word Akur is actually quite interesting since it is related to the word agriculture and the measurement unit acre. Akur in Icelandic simply means a field. So if you travel to Akureyri or Akranes, then you can surmise by the prefix that there were fertile fields there when those places were named. This story feels old to me, maybe not a thousand years old, but it might have been a few hundred years old when it was collected. But we will never know for sure. I hope that you will enjoy. Goldilocks, and Beardy. A long time ago, a woman named Öðr the Wise lived at a farm called Kvamur in the West Country. The farm stood on the bank of a river, on the opposite side of which were rich cornfields. But Öðr had forbidden any seed to be sown on a particular spot where the land happened to be best nor did she allow her servants to graze any cattle there, and if by chance any cows had been there, she forbade them to be milked the next day. When Öðr was very old, a young and beautiful woman came to Qomr, and declared her name to be Goldilocks, but nobody knew neither whence she came or who she was. The only person she could find to speak to was the caretaker, but Eider herself she did not see. The woman asked the caretaker why a particular spot in the field was not sown with corn nor grazed, and the caretaker answered that either had forbidden it to be so. At this Goldilocks laughed heartily and asked him to sell her the ground, for she said, I will give more for a single hillock of that land than for all the great farm of Kvamr. I have a certain foreboding that on that ground a custom will be introduced, and that sort of house be built of which I have the greatest dread and dislike. Sell me, therefore, the spot of ground without asking either about it. With these words he took out a large purse filled with coin. When the manager saw the glitter of her gold, she said to himself, Uyder is old and has but little to do with management, and forthwith sold the lands to Goldilocks. But when Uyder came to know what had been done, she was exceedingly wroth and sent her manager away, saying to him, you will never fatten on this gold. I suspect the woman who paid it to be the most evil of witches and knew long ago what would happen to that ground. No harm, however, can come home to Quamber, for a good spirit watches over it. Then the steward thought that he would pacify the old lady by giving her some of the contents of the purse he had just received. So. He undid the strings, and lo, instead of gold, poured from it a heap of worms, which smelt so horrible that the man forthwith went mad and died. After this the man and his purse were buried in a little hollow of that spot of ground which Goldilocks had purchased, which is called to this day Worm Hollow. Either did not endeavor to reclaim from Goldilocks the ground which she had bought, but destroyed all the cornfields around it, from the sea to a rocky river ravine in one direction and from the mountains to the river in the other. She also set up three crosses where the ravine joined the mountain whence its name crossed a ravine and said during my life Goldilocks shall never cross this boundary. And this came true for during the life of Udur, Goldilocks neither brought her sheep and cattle to graze anywhere near the crops, nor approached them herself. Now Goldilocks built on her piece of ground a farm called Akur and a large temple where she made great offerings and performed all sorts of witchcraft it is told as a curious thing that whenever she was using her incantations and happened to look either towards quamr or the crosses by the mountains all her spells went wrong which it declared was because at each of these points she always saw light whose rays were so dazzling as to make her forget at once all her magic words and signs. Öyðr, who was a Christian, died shortly after all this and was buried in some ground which he had caused in her lifetime to be consecrated by the sea not far from the land belonging to Goldilocks, who found herself now in a sort of prison, what with the sacred remains of Öyðr on one side and the crosses on the other. So she sold her piece of ground to the heathen successor of Öyðr at Kvamr and purchased another in a dark and dismal valley over which the sun seldom shone in summer and never in winter.' and in the darkest and gloomiest recess intended to take up her abode. But when it came to passing out of her old property to her new one, by the road to which led near the crosses, she found herself nearly powerless, and going into her temple was compelled to use the strongest charms to strengthen herself, and then ordering her servants to bind her eyes so that she should not see. She took from the temple a large chest of gold, on which she had fastened a ring from the temple door, mounted her horse, holding the chest in front of her, and caused the horse to be led quickly along the path. She particularly commanded her servants to avoid looking towards the crosses, but when they came to the cross ravine, one of them looked in the forbidden direction, and being frightened caused the horse to stumble so that the chest of gold burst away from its ring. So that the chest of gold burst away from its ring and fell to the ground. Goldilocks, being astonished at this, tore the bandits from her eyes and looked to see what had become of it. But in so doing happened to see the crosses not far off. At this she shrieked aloud and declared that their brightness was greater than she could bear, bade her servants hurry on as quickly as possible and bring the chest after her. Then, looking at her hand, she saw the ring from which the box had fallen, and flung it away in a rage, saying, All my life I will repent of having brought you with me, different indeed to the purpose for which I intended you and most hateful to me will be the use to which you will be put. The ring from the temple door at Akur is still around. It is now attached to the church of Qamr. It is a large ring, worn by use and made from bronze. It is attached to an ancient copper plate on which there is an image of two warriors, and one of them seems to be stabbing the other. As soon as Goldilocks passed the ravine, a fierce and burning pain seized her eyes, so before she had reached her new abode, she was perfectly bound. In this gloomy valley she lived no long time, suffering perpetual tortures till she died. On her deathbed she told her sons to bury her in a deep and precipitous ravine where neither the sun could shine nor church bells be heard in the ravine she pointed out there was a vast waterfall and under the waterfall a cave and the water at the foot of the fall was very deep and its eddying awful to this cave goldilocks was carried and in it buried with her head upon the chest of gold Long afterwards her ghost haunted all the mountains around so that neither man nor beast was safe after twilight, and much mischief was done. At this time a farmer lived at Kvamr, named Skeki, who was a heathen and afflicted by witchcraft. This man suffered much from the persecutions of the ghost Goldilocks, who killed his herdsmen, and his sheep for him, one after the other. Skeke became more wroth with her every day, and in proportion to his anger increased his desire to become possessed of her golden treasures under the waterfall. For he considered that her gold would be of infinitely more use to a living man than to a dead witch. With this idea in his head... He one day started off for the waterfall, but so long was the day that it was evening before he arrived there. He commanded his two servants, whom he had brought with him, to let him down into the ravine with a rope. They did so, and he disappeared into the cave under the waterfall. The two men who held the end of the rope heard, after a little while, the sound of heavy blows and loud shrieks beneath the water, and it was plain that some fearful struggle was going on there. At last they became so horrified as to be on the point of taking flight when Skeki gave them the sign to pull up the rope. When they did so, they found the chest full of gold fastened to the end of it. They had scarcely pulled it out of the edge of the ravine before they saw the whole valley filled with a strange and spectral fire, whose flames flared higher than the very mountains and, letting go of the rope in their fright, took to their heels while the chest fell down again into the abyss. Skeki came home sometimes afterwards, very weary, and... "'covered with bruises and blood, "'but bringing on one of his arms a kettle full of gold "'which he had managed to take out of the chest of Goldilocks "'and climb with up the rope. "'But though he had fought hard with the ghost, "'he had been unable to subdue her, "'and she became now more dangerous than ever, "'killing his sheep and his herdsmen.' till at last he could get no servants at all. Skeki from this time became a changed man, and was so affected by the constant loss of his servants, that he fell ill and took for a long while to his bed. At last, one day after his recovery, being without any herdsmen, he went out himself as if to watch the flocks but he did not return either that night or the next. On the third day, however, he came back, more dead than alive, bearing on his back Goldilocks' treasure chest. He said, You will not see much more either of the ghost or of me. And after these words took to his bed, whence he never rose again, Before he died, he ordered that the gold contained in the kettle should be expended in timber for building a church at Kvamr. For he continued, The first time I went to the waterfall and struggled with the ghost of Goldilocks, I called upon Thor to aid me, but he deceived me and played me false. The last time I fought with her, in my despair and anguish, I called upon Christ, the god of the Christians, to aid me, promising to build a church to him. Suddenly a bright gleam of light struck full into the eyes of the phantom, and she became a stone in the midst of the ravine. But despite all this, Skeki died a heathen, and refused to be buried in the consecrated ground of the church which he had commanded to be built. So they buried him in the open country, and under his head placed the chest of Goldilocks. Whether he slept more calmly upon this pillow than she had done, this tale says not. When folktales allude to places and objects that are still to be seen, we can't always be sure if they still exist or are in any way recognizable. These stories were collected in the middle of the 19th century and the storytellers were often referencing things in other parts of the country. But I looked up information about the ring on the church door and I was lucky enough to find that the Icelandic archaeologist Dr. Wilhelm Rörn Wilhelmsson had written about it. He doesn't say much about the ring itself, but has traced the origins of the plate that it is affixed to. It seems to have been made from the same mold as plates that are in museums in Germany, Holland and England. He also notes that the scene depicted on the plate is not of warriors fighting, but rather of two men carrying a very large bunch of grapes. The scene is from a passage in the fourth book of Moses. Dr. Wilhelmer mentions the possibility that these plates might have been used in the Passover cedar, but the prevailing theory is that the Icelandic plates might have been used in baptisms. There are different theories about the age of these plates, but Dr. Wilhelmer estimates it might be from the early 16th century. The ring itself seems of no real interest except in connection to the tale of Goldilocks and Beardy. That is it for today. Hope you will not have to wait long for the next episode. Thanks to Evan Williams, Jon Helkerson, Austin Ewell, Fred Settler, and all my other supporters. And as always, special thanks to Troy Williams, a friend of the podcast. I am Oleg Nesti and this has been Stories of Iceland, episode 20, Goldilocks and Beardy.